ANA Champions of Growth podcast. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Community-powered marketing is not exactly novel. Brands have been trying to cultivate online communities since the dawn of the web. But in a post-digital age, when consumer loyalty is getting more and more tenuous, community-powered marketing is taking on new currency. The explosion in artificial intelligence and machine learning in the last few years, for instance, is enabling brands to leverage real-time data not only to better serve their online communities, but understand the preferences of individual consumers, for no community is a monolith. Another potential boon for community-powered marketing, the pending cookie-pocalypse. As third-party cookies eventually go the way of the fax machine, community-powered marketing generates the kind of first-party data and zero-party data that will be vital for brands vying for mindshare in a hyper-competitive marketplace. Here to talk about trends in community-powered marketing is Sue Freck, founder and CEO of Vesta, a software firm that specializes in community-powered marketing. Vesta is the 2021 Stevie Award Gold winner for Community Engagement Campaign of the Year, while Sue is a four-time winner for Best Female Entrepreneur by the Stevie Awards. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. Let's get right to it. When talking about community-powered marketing technology, how do you define it in a macro sense? Community-powered marketing is really about that lasting emotional connection a brand can create with its audience. And every brand has an audience. And it's also about the engagement from member to member. It's the relationships and the engagement and how they harness it to really drive business impact. So marketers use community-powered marketing to leverage their audiences to drive business goals. Everything from growing their customer base, increasing sales, giving them a home, sharing news, drive ratings and reviews and advocacy, capture data and insights. Very, very powerful marketing tool. Did the pandemic accelerate the kinds of needs that you were seeing from your clients and prospects when it comes to engaging their audiences? What have been some of the most salient changes in strategy and growing brand appeal? What are your clients asking for when they talk about community? We know this. Consumers are online more than ever. And the pandemic, it might have been the catalyst, but this behavior, it's only going to grow. Consumers are really relying on brands having that strong digital presence And so they really want the brands and marketers to help them make faster, more efficient business decisions on what they're going to purchase and what services they want. So brands know there's this massive influx of digital messages coming through their way, and they need to be able to cut through the noise. Think of community as your brand's superpower. It's your megaphone. It's your best way for consumers to reach you. And it's the best way for you to build that direct relationship and conversation with your consumers. We saw some really fun things during the pandemic, which is probably not words you typically hear with pandemic, but we really saw some innovation. Brands were saying, I need lighter packaging because I'm hearing that from my community members. Shipping cat litter and it weighs a lot. I don't want to spend the shipping. New innovation, pivot their creative based on the pandemic. There were times where consumers were so tired of that same pandemic story and message. So it's really about the data they were collecting in real time and helping them move quickly, make decisions quickly, and be relevant in that moment. And Sue, building and growing online brand communities has been a major challenge for most every company since the dawn of the web. So what makes community-powered marketing different? What I see is different today than the dawn of the web is that brands now see the value and the business impact because they have technology. They've got a methodology. They have best practices. Companies have platforms, whether it's us or another party, that they can use that really allows them to efficiently, effectively engage those audiences, their communities, but also measure the results. 
so they can continue to grow and evolve. Okay, but a quick follow-up. In order to leverage that technology, do marketers need to get a hell of a lot better in getting outside of their own box in the sense of getting more out into the field more, really getting to know their customer base, and then taking advantage of these kinds of technologies. I'm trying to get a a sense of whether a lot of this is lurching toward the digital, but that human element can't be downplayed. The biggest thing is don't collect data for data's sake. Don't go out and ask your audience something and get their feedback and not use it. So that's that human element. Consumers are smart. They're savvy. They're going to know. You keep asking the same questions and putting out surveys and, and getting their feedback and don't use it they get frustrated. It's those two sides to it. Yes, get out of your comfort zone, test new technology, stay abreast of what's happening in the marketplace when it comes to MarTech, but certainly make sure that if you're going to have that relationship with those consumers, that you're actually going to take their feedback and utilize it. But is that part of the problem here? When you talk about, oh, stop asking me the same question over and over and over. What are some of the remedies there? Or is it just, again, marketers having just a simply a larger aperture for uh, consumer engagement? So it, it is really a challenge that either the companies are siloed. So they're working with an insights team that isn't working with this customer experience team that isn't working with the brand team. And so you've got data coming from all different areas and it isn't being brought together. And then you just have these marketers that are so busy that they don't have the time to step back and use that data. It's not the fault of the marketers, but it's just the nature. And it's only going to get worse. More demanding, less time and resources. Can you give us a good example of how you are building communities, how this process works on behalf of clients? What are the nuances and where's the added value for what marketers have been doing for a long time? So I've got a couple of good examples. You know, I love Sir Kensington's personally and also from a marketer's perspective. It's owned by Unilever and it's a condiment brand for those that don't know, but it is a true challenger brand. And tons of big brands are looking and watching what they're doing. Early on, they were really emphatic about making sure that they put their customer preferences at the heart of every brand decision. That's how they earned this very organic and very large group of super fans. But they know they needed a way to harness all of that power and to cultivate those relationships and do it at scale to help their business. It was really important for them, again, because they're in a crowded category, they're fighting for shelf space, they're up against big household names at the time was Heinz and Hellman's. We really delivered a solution that enabled them to strengthen those relationships, meaning deeper relationships, and then also grow them more members. They wanted to find an easy way to tap into that zero and first party data. How were they going to get feedback from their community members? And then how are they also going to mobilize the super fans to actually advocate for their brand, bring in new users? You know, there are communities that 60% of the community has new users in the brand. How is that possible? I'm building this community of super fans. Why would there be? Because your super fans are bringing in new customers to your brand. Huge opportunity. So I want to understand you correctly. You started off your comments by saying, again, a lot of big brands tend to get lost with all the data and they don't know how to sift through it. And then you mentioned this smaller brand. Are you suggesting that there are a lot more mega brands and global brands when it comes to community-based marketing that need to steal a few pages from the playbook of smaller niche brands, DTC companies. The reason for being is yeah. really what you described. Yeah. So, so again, is there that disconnect between these, these big lumbering companies with many silos? They, they got the resources, but the execution is all screwy. 
Do they need to more look to these, again, smaller, more scrappy brands on, yeah. on how to cultivate that community? What I love when we work with challenger brands is that they're trying to grow. And then ultimately, many of them, like Sir Kensington, they get acquired. We work with Hero, which is the, the acne company and, you know, the, the acne patch company, and they were acquired by Church and Dwight. It's fun to watch when a small challenger brand is being acquired because they have something proprietary. So not just the community, but their methodology of how they engage and, and the community becomes this proprietary assets. These big brands say, hey, I want to do what they're doing, but why? Like macro, because they're nimble, because they make quick decisions. They have this loyal following. They're authentic. Community for a very large brand, for a startup brand, a challenger brand, it's agnostic. Community allows them to achieve all of those things and then again, do it at scale. So we do say when we work with some big mega brands, we do talk about how community allows them to be more nimble. It allows them to take immediate feedback. You can throw a survey out and get, get three, four, 5,000 responses in less than two days. That's powerful. That would cost you $50,000, $100,000. It would take you six weeks. So you're a big brand. You, know, you can move at that speed. But then you think about the challenger brands, what they want, they want scale. They don't have the big media dollars. They can't rely on huge digital media campaigns. So they rely on that poor, small audience being their megaphone, that authentic consumer advocate telling their entire social networks, every retail site, buy this Sir Kensington products. And here's what they stand for. And here's what they need. Okay. So perhaps the recipe here is a bit of mentoring and reverse mentoring. I've never said it like that, but hundred percent. One of the best practices here for brands that want to wrap up their community-based marketing. Are there some distinguishing characteristics for marketers and their agencies that uh, can provide more tangible outcomes when measuring these efforts? We really do try to keep it simple. It's about starting small. Every brand has an audience. So whether it's your CRM, it's your customer base, it's your social pages, you have an audience and you want to start with that audience because they're opting in for a reason, but now you want to leverage that audience. So now you're giving them a home a destination. Brands and marketers know social channels like a Facebook or Instagram. You don't own that data. You don't own that relationship. Give them a place to go that's proprietary to you. Then it's about the value exchange. If you're going to ask them to take a survey, share a review, advocate for you, create content, bring in their audience, their friends into your brand, what are you giving them in exchange? Common things are traditional rewards and swag, maybe product samples, coupons, discounts, early access, join a focus group. So there's a lot of things you can do when it comes to a value exchange and then make it very easy to capture feedback because, you know, brands will say, well, how do I know what my members want? We ask them all the time, mm -hmm. you know, why did you join the community? So Matthew, you joined because you want coupons. I joined because I want to be part of their marketing team and be in their focus groups. We're making sure that the content that we're giving them is relevant. So you're closing that feedback loop, but make it very easy to capture that feedback and then set goals. Set goals, align your activities, your engagement, your KPIs to those goals so you can effectively measure your results. That cascade, isn't it predicated on not necessarily breaking down the silos, but at least dismantling them and having a flatter organization? Yeah, I do think it depends on the brand because we have some incredible teams that have digital and CRM and DMPs that are really looked at like a very holistic view and are giving incredible feedback and data back to down to the brand level and the marketers level. They're taking all the community data and integrating that in 
And then we have other teams that you know, we're working with just the CMO. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it makes it really easy to have a flat organization. They're making all the, all the business decisions. And then they're relying on the community to do what 10 other softwares might do. So they don't have the budget and resources for all these teams and software. So they're relying on the community. And that's why we say, keep it simple. We mm-hmm. want them to keep it simple. How much does your model rely on influencers when it comes to cultivating and growing communities? Our specialty and our strength is not in working with paid influencers. So we invest, so we focus on engaging communities of consumer influencers. So they are unpaid brand advocates. They're consumers who love your brand. You built a lifestyle community. So in the example of, of Hero, it's around skincare. We're not talking about pimples all day long. We're talking about better skincare, aging, dry skin. So, you know, these are people that love your brand or love the lifestyle. Whereas on the flip side, the paid influencer market, which is tremendously large and powerful in our eyes, is, is really that media play that integrates with the consumer influencers. So we work with lots of brands that have both strategies. So they'll have the paid influencers, your professionals, your professional influencers, your professionals as, as doctors and physicians and and your dietitians, your college ambassadors, you know, celebrities, but you don't need them to have a thriving consumer community. They do help, you know, they create great content that you're going to then funnel through your community to amplify and share out with their audience, or you're going to take feedback from your community and say, this is what they're looking for in content and have that influencer create that content. So it is, it is reciprocal. And I think it works really well together. Okay. But whether it's paid or not paid, how are your relationships with influencers changing? And are you adding more scrutiny for influencers considering we're living in a rather dicey economy with this ongoing threat of a recession Mm-hmm. where brands are being hyper-careful with their budgets moving forward. In the paid influencer space, I've seen it. The relationships are changing. Consumers are more savvy. They know they're being paid. They know it's part of a brand initiative. Influencers, it's their business. This is how they're making money. They'll work with brands. They'll even work with competitive brands. So it's not about loyalty. You're not building loyalty from that influencer because you're paying them. You're hoping that their audience becomes loyal, but that's when you want to bring them into your own community because that's where the loyalty comes in. And particularly in a recession, particularly during a pandemic, but certainly anytime you want brand loyalty and brand and consumers are more fickle than ever. But our research does show that if a consumer influencer is part of a community, they're more loyal or more likely to purchase your brand first and foremost. Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding ANA Newsstand. The ANA produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ana.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Sue Freck, CEO of software company Vesta, about the benefits of community-powered marketing. Sue, you sort of touched on this just before the break regarding community-powered marketing being the next frontier for customer loyalty programs in terms of how marketers mobilize brand advocates and drive that emotional affinity. We always talk about community-powered marketing filling this gap that so many traditional loyalty programs have. 
we think about traditional loyalty programs, you know, this is rewarding me for purchasing. I go out and I buy a cup of coffee and I get some stars and then I can turn it into a free cup of coffee. But community powered marketing is about the engagement between purchases. It's what brings me back to your store, your product, your service. We really give brands the tools and the methodology and challenge them to think about loyalty differently. We talk about rewarding the members for things beyond purchase. So that's the data capture, that's providing insights, that's creating user-generated content, that's writing reviews, that's testing products, being part of a focus group. We really talk about us filling that gap that those traditional loyalty programs have. And again, this is done with your audience, with consumers, with an army of consumer advocates. But does the brand ambassador emerge from that? Yes, 100%. This is this perfect funnel, right? We always said it was the bench in baseball. It's, you know, you've got your star players and they're out there and they're talking about you all the time, but you have to keep the bench warm. Sometimes, you know, consumers age out. Sometimes lifestyles change. So, you know, it's really about keeping that bench warm. If you've got this army and that original group of advocates and they're bringing in these new users, you now need to engage them. You need to entice them and engage them and encourage them to become part of this community and brand so that they can then turn around and become an ambassador for you as well. And you can measure that. Community allows you to measure that. How much do you like my brand? How often do you purchase it? Tie it to sales data. So there's a lot you can do to measure how you're moving those new prospects or potential customers through the funnel and turning them into brand advocates or, or even evangelists that they wouldn't use anything but your product. But you got to keep the embers on the fire burning for those yeah. budding ambassadors, as mm -hmm. opposed to cultivating influencers, either paid or non-paid. We really don't look at the paid influencer themselves as loyal to your brand. They right. are being right. paid. And that, right. That's the point of it. You leverage them because they have a huge audience and a huge following and you mm -hmm. want them to learn about your brand. So if you look at the funnel, that's the awareness discovery phase. Yeah. I, I love this influencer. I'm going to discover all my new cosmetics products through her. And so that's great, but that's not necessarily that I'm loyal to all those brands because I follow this influencer. And that's the awareness phase. That's the discovery phase. Bring them into the community. And now that's the nurturing phase, the engagement, the capturing the insights and the driving the loyalty and increased purchase. To switch gears here, as marketers face the so-called cookie apocalypse, the question is, is community-powered marketing an effective tool for landing both first-party data and the increasingly important zero-party data? Marketers that are, and we are still talking to them, that are in the middle of planning their zero and first-party data strategy are really late to the game. And that's okay. Everyone's not the first and first and second place winners. Fortunately, we make it very easy with community-powered marketing to collect zero and first-party data. And consumers that are part of your community are more than willing to share that. Our research really shows that consumers are more than willing to provide insights and feedback to a brand if the brand will utilize it for personalization, better products, better services, better experiences. We love that brands are amazed when they build a community. It may not be solely for the data insights, they're amazed at how much data they collect through community. And they're blown away that it's proprietary, but they also know, these marketers know it's a competitive advantage. It's a trope in the marketing industry, Sue, and we're all guilty of it. Let's face it. Find the right customer at the right time with the right message. But I wonder if that's possible. But my question is, does community power marketing take a lot of the guesswork out of consumer engagement? 
and enable campaigns to cater more effectively to individual preferences, as you said, at scale. Absolutely. And it is a very large reason why marketers um, come to us and continue to work with us. Every survey response, every action taken is mapped back to that member, which gives brands the opportunity to then create segments and groups based on that and deliver the personalization, but do it at scale. What I love is that consumer preferences are changing all of the times. Family dynamics change, their life stages change. Difficult for brands to maintain all these data points on all of these consumers at scale. They try, but it's so broad. So brands need technology to help them achieve this. And community power marketing is designed just to do that. That's the real-time approach and methodology. I can capture an insight study within within one or two days and turn around and deliver you messaging and media based on your feedback the next day later. You don't have six months to plan your marketing campaign anymore or 12 months to plan what you're going to say because the world might be different and my entire lifestyle may be different. My brand preferences may be different. So community really does allow for that true personalization at scale. Where does all of this fit within personalization? Personalization is like table stakes. It's common practice. You better have it. It's expected. Consumers expect it. Brands have to deliver it. It's losing its meaning when it's not done well. For example, as a marketer, I'm personalizing all my content to moms. And everybody knows that's weak. You know, moms are not all the same. I'm certainly not the same as, mm-hmm. as half my friends, mm-hmm. right? So on the other hand, providing personalization and offers to a millennial mom You know, um, she believes in green living. She shops at Whole Foods. She lives in California. She's on Instagram. She hates Facebook down to that level. And she's got two sets of twins. That's personalization. And we can do that at scale with community. You can do that with that level of data, but it's the speed at which you capture it and the speed at which you use it that I really think is one of the powers behind the personalization at scale. That relevancy is so important because Consumers say, wow, that brand really knows me. And now I'm going to use that product because they know me. We're leveling up personalization. So is better personalization a function of a lot less monolithic thinking among marketers when it comes to certain segments? I want personalization, which means like individualized, but I want to do it at scale. That's why marketers have to rely on technology and it's getting better and better every day. I love that we're developing every three weeks, we're in a sprint, we're developing new features, functionality, and technology. That's really exciting as part of it. And marketers do need to challenge themselves and think of personalization differently than they have in, in the past. As we start to wrap up, how much of all of this community-based marketing is at the intersection of AI and the human touch? But whenever I think of communities and ones that last, there's usually a strong emotional bond in the bedrock. So as the MarTech stack gets ever more complicated, how mm-hmm. do marketers ensure that balance and grow their communities? Community-powered marketing is definitely at that intersection. It is not replace humans. The AI piece that we leverage, the dynamic profiling that's happening automatically within our platform does not replace humans. Our technology is designed to empower the marketer. It's always been this balance, human touch, emotional marketing, scaled automation, and personalization. AI is providing the better data and insights to help the human marketer make better business decisions in less time with less risk and with greater success, because that is, that's the challenge. All of this happens because of the data that we're collecting and the machine learning that's happening. I read recently that AI should be a collaborator 
should not be a replacement. And I just, I loved that. We're going to partner with them with machine learning and AI and technology. As opposed to being subjugated by it. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Now we're going to switch over to the lightning round question, which is what is the biggest challenge facing CMOs right now? The greatest challenge to CMOs is this intense pressure to drive growth in an uncertain economy, less resources, challenges with getting data and utilizing it, unstable employment market, hard to find, retain talent. CMOs must do more with less. So the answer is data, data, data. Their biggest challenge is how are they going to capture the data, find the data, use the data. Marketers have to dedicate resources behind an owned data strategy. That's the biggest challenge for them. If they're going to do more with less, that's that AI piece of it. They're going to have to rely on the data to help them stay abreast of changes in the marketplace, challenges in the economy, supply chain issues, consumers' needs changing. You know, and having a really strong data strategy will help them ensure success in a more efficient and, and really effective way. And again, at the end of the day, to drive, to drive growth faster and greater. And we'll have to leave it there. Big thanks to my guest today, Sue Freck, CEO of Vesta. Sue, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. This is great. To learn more about Vesta and community-powered marketing, please go to Vesta.com. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.